the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Alrighty then, good morning to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we're underway. Already on a Thursday. It's the 26th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2023. We did a great podcast last night, Jack Windsor and I. Talking Smack with Bob and Jack. It's downloaded now, or rather it's uploaded to your favorite podcast site. Make sure you check that out, whether it's Apple Podcasts or iHeart Podcasts or Spotify or you name it. It's there, Podbean. Uh, check it out. Uh, we're covering everything that's going on in the Ohio State House from stem to stern. Also, a great interview last night with Lisa Logan on SEL and the dangers of social-emotional lear- learning being pushed on our kids in their public schools. So that is available for you. Make sure you check that out. And we are going to talk a little bit more to start the show today. Well, at the next uh, bottom of the hour, uh, right after the bottom of the hour, we're going to talk to Brian Stewart about some of that very stuff. Not the SEL, but the uh, State House and the calamity that the Ohio Republican Party is, the Ohio State Supermajority, State House Supermajority, split into two factions, and it is in no way, shape, or form going to get better. There appears to be no interest whatsoever. We talked in some depth about this yesterday with Phil Plummer, who called for the 
uh, resignation of Jason Stevens as the Ohio Speaker. And today we're going to talk to Brian Stewart. Brian Stewart, by the way, is the sponsor of the very important piece of legislation that is um, that is going to die because of uh, the Republican sellout because of the trans Democrats, which is what the 22, the gang of 22, the uh, cabal of 22, the coup of 22, whatever you want to call them, because of their selling out to the Democrats uh, and selling out Ohio Republican voters, this bill, this important bill, HJR six, which has now I think been renumbered HJR one in the new in the new uh, General Assembly, it's going to die. And it's it, that bill was supposed to require sixty percent um, for a constitutional amendment, sixty percent approval to change the Ohio Constitution, as opposed to a simple majority at fifty percent plus one. Why does that matter? Because the Democrats are already preparing amendments on things as important as abortion. Um, they are going to legalize abortion in the most radical way possible by a simple constitutional amendment with a simple majority. And while there is an overwhelming majority of conservative Ohioans who don't believe in abortion, and who more importantly don't believe it in it in the in the most uh, horrific of manners, you know, post fifteen weeks when babies feel pain and all the way up to the moment of birth and so forth, while there's a significant majority who oppose that, there is and there are enough Democrats to support abortion overall. Maybe it's first trimester, but still, there are enough of them. To create the fifty percent plus one on an, on a on a constitutional amendment to the constitution, well, that's redundant. Apologies, but on a constitutional amendment. So we're going to talk to Brian Stewart about what this means. You know, this is something that uh, just did not have to happen. We worked very very hard, uh, conservative Republicans, to elect a super majority of Republicans, and then uh, in a mad power grab, Jason Stevens and that cabal of twenty two just completely. Um, blew it all up. It is a disaster. It is an abject disaster in Columbus, and our lives are not going to be the same when they are all said and done. So Brian Stewart will join me at 9.35 to talk about some of what Jack and I talked about last night on the podcast. Then at 10.10, Dr. Everett Piper will be with us to lead us through the culture wars, as he always does. At 10.35, we're going to talk with Julie Kirchner. Julie Kirchner is the new executive director of FAIR, our friends at the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Their hands have never been more full than what they are now during the Biden administration. And the Biden administration's complete, uh, irresponsible, ignoring... Well, yeah, that's a lie. I should say ignoring the southern border. They're not ignoring it. They know full well they are on top of it. These are conscious decisions to leave it wide open and to allow record numbers of, of border crossers to continue to come over now two-plus years in. And obviously the gotaways are the most troubling, and those numbers are just through the roof as well. What danger does all of this pose for the country, short-term and long-term? We're going to talk about it with Julie Kirshner, uh, new executive director of Federation for American Immigration Reform. So Brian Stewart, Dr. Everett Piper, and Julie Kirshner will be with us this morning. Now, before we get into the monologue on today's top story, let us rise. Patriots, are you ready for that? <clears throat> Stand up. Face your flag. If you have a flag, if you don't get an image of one somewhere, and I know you'll work on that maybe for tomorrow morning's pledge. We're going to do this each and every day. And you know we've been doing it each and every day for, I want to say, well over two years now. Um, I don't have the exact number, but well over two years, I believe. At any rate, uh, prepare yourself for it. Put your hand on your heart and join us. If you are a believer in stealing the First Amendment rights to free speech from prominent American citizens simply because you disagree with the speech that they are providing, 
Well, then you should work for Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. And more importantly, you should not be pledging your allegiance to this flag because you have no belief or understanding whatsoever what the stars and stripes actually represent. You may instead feel more comfortable taking a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback while the rest of us stand proudly and say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Yeah, you know I always try to tie my uh, pledge introduction to one of our top stories, and that's exactly what we're doing right now. The free, the First Amendment providing all of us with free speech, as you know, is under direct attack every single day. Some in more dramatic places than others, some in more publicly visible places than others, but make no mistake about it, your free speech is a threat to those who wish to take this country apart, to literally break it down. And those include globalists, as evidenced by the pledge that the United States First Amendment will crumble. Uh, you know, this was in Davos, uh, the World Economic Forum. The globalists all got together and said the United States is going to have to soon adopt anti-hate speech laws like we have in Europe and in other parts of the world. The United States is going to have uh, hate speech restrictions, meaning if you say something somebody else finds hateful or somebody finds offensive, there are going to be repercussions. That, of course, is completely antithetical to the First Amendment, and that's why we fight for it. That's why I'm the National Communications Director for the Citizens for Free Speech. We fight against this type of tyranny all the time, starting on the local levels and working our way up from there to county levels, to regional regional levels, to state levels, and so forth. Um, but free speech is, is, on the, is under attack. And nowhere is it more evidence than today's top story. Facebook, a.k.a. Meta, the social media giant, remember Facebook named their overall companies, uh, uh, renamed their overall company as Meta because that covers the entire uh, properties of Facebook and Instagram. They made the announcement yesterday that they are going to, in all of their magnanimous glory, they are going to allow the former president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, whom they unceremoniously kicked off of their platforms for engaging in speech they did not agree with, they're going to allow him to come back as long as he is willing to accept terms that uh, they find agreeable. With what they're calling new guardrails, they're going to allow Donald Trump back onto social media. He's being reinstated in, in a matter of weeks. It's been a little more than two years now since he was suspended from the platform over what they called incendiary posts about the January 6th protests at the Capitol that turned into a riot. Trump's accounts are going to be reinstated in the coming weeks, according to Nick Clegg, Meta's president of global affairs, quote, with new guardrails in place to deter repeat offenses, end quote. Now, this is just a personal thing for me. It's just how I hear it. Maybe I'm nuts. Uh, it wouldn't be the first time I've been, I've been called a nut. I hear guardrails, and I think of I think of you know a, a baby's crib. That's why you put a baby in a crib with those big high rails, those guardrails, those protective rails, so the baby doesn't fall out or climb out and go and get hurt. Um, it's a big moment when the baby graduates from the crib with the big guardrails to the toddler bed where they actually have the ability to get in and out of their bed on their on their own. 
That's just the, an image that comes to my head. And I don't think it's radical, and I don't think it's crazy, because the truth is, that's how they're treating Donald J. Trump. They're treating him like a child, one who cannot be trusted on his own. So we're going to reinstate some of his privileges with guardrails, like a baby. And I find it just so wholly insulting and so... I mean, indefensible in the way that they are treating this. He is a president of the United States. He disagrees with many of the things and many of the ideas and many of the policies and platforms and ideology of just about everybody in Facebook's Silicon Valley headquarters. And because he disagrees with them and they disagree with him, they have decided he should be silenced. And they cover it and they cloak it in an issue of national security and, uh, you know, not violating our community standards that put other people at risk and so on and so forth. And they refer to the government's terms like insurrection and inciting violence, none of which is accurate, all of which has been completely taken out of context. And they literally, again, in my, in my metaphor here, Big Daddy Mark Zuckerberg and mommy, whoever the hell else the uh, uh, the the uh, counterpart would be at at Meta slash Facebook, treating Donald Trump like a child, grounded him for two years. Now his grounding is up, and they're only going to let him out of his room or whatever confines he had over the, the last two years. Um, they're only going to let him out if he agrees to change his behavior. And again, I cannot. I, it's so insulting. Uh, I hope Donald Trump sends a message back that says, here is my response to your reinstatement of my account, and he extends two great big middle fingers. I don't want him back on social media. Not because I don't want to hear from him, but because they do not deserve to have him there treating him in such a disrespectful way. I want him to just stay with and embrace his social media, which is uh, Truth Social. Use it. Grow it, expand it, do not allow Facebook to set the conditions by which you will come back and talk to the American people on their platform. Do not let them give you guardrails that other people don't have. Do not let them give you uh, conditions under which you must you know, uh, 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 send your messaging. It's it's trash. It's just wrong. It's it flies in the face of the First Amendment. For and and I'll, you could be Joe, the trash collector. In a local community, you could be Tom, the accountant. You could be Mary, the the executive. You could be anybody else. But this just happens to be the president of the United States, or at least the last president of the United States. And to treat him in such a way, it would be, you know, as bad, like I said, treating anybody else in America this way, but particularly in this case, because there's, you know, tens of millions of people in this country that value his input, his opinions, that want to hear from him. And for them to put these conditions on him is simply indefensible. And I'm going to clarify that. Now, fortunately, President Trump's initial response to this was something similar to what I just said. It wasn't two big middle fingers, but it was it was close enough. President Trump did issue a response, and his response went along the lines of um, Facebook, which has lost billions of dollars in value since deplatforming your favorite president, me. This is just how he talks, and this is on True Social. 
your favorite president, me, has just announced that they are reinstating my account. Such a thing should never, ever again happen to a sitting president or anyone else who is not, not deserving of retribution. And he went on to say that he's proud of all of the people who have made Truth Social so large and successful in the last year and a half or so or two years, whatever it's been since it started, and he looks forward to uh, watching it grow. So is that a way of him saying, I'm never going back on Facebook? No. I mean, it's a hint that maybe he's going to say, I'm going to stick with Truth Social. But I would love to hear a firm, definitive, again, you know, uh, uh, figurative uh, middle finger back at Mark Zuckerberg telling them, you will not treat me this way. It's not going to happen. Now, Twitter is a little bit different. Twitter's a little bit different. They lifted the ban on Donald Trump. And I think Donald Trump would be fine going back to use Twitter because it wasn't the same people who banned him. The people who banned him no longer run Twitter. The people who stole his First Amendment rights to speech and expression are no longer running Twitter. If they were still running Twitter and said, okay, your punishment is over, your grounding is up, Donald Trump, we'll let you back on now under these preconditions, I would tell him to tell them the same thing that I want him to tell Zuckerberg. But since it's owned now and run by Elon Musk, who is working, I think, very, very hard to restore some of the credibility to Twitter by allowing free speech and allowing banned accounts to be unbanned uh, because he wasn't the one who did it. It's a different story. This is a fresh start for President Trump on Twitter. Uh, Elon Musk has extended the olive branch, you know, not that he needed to because he wasn't the one, but from the company to Donald Trump. And if he goes back to Twitter, and I understand he has indeed recreated his account, but he has not yet tweeted on it, that's different. But Facebook is still run by the same uh, individuals who treated him like a child, banned him, sent him to his room. You're grounded from Facebook for two years. And when you come back two years later, there will be guardrails in place. There will be, there will be conditions that you will have to follow in order to be ungrounded. I find that just absurd. And I hope President Trump does too. Stay away from Facebook. Stay away from anybody that is going to, uh, deny you your, your, your First Amendment protected rights, whether you're a former president, like I said, or, uh, or, or anybody else in America. It's 924. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Nine twenty-seven now. Always right radio and AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Thanks for being with us. Don't forget, coming up, we're going to talk to Ohio State Representative Brian Stewart, who uh, sponsored uh, a very important uh, uh, piece of legislation in the Ohio General Assembly, one that would allow uh, a vote uh, to amend the Ohio Constitution, a referendum to require sixty percent passage, sixty percent approval of the Ohio voters, and. Uh, to lower that, or to keep it rather at its uh, minimal bar of 50% plus one, is going to be very, very dangerous with the Democrats coming with some very, very strong uh, and dangerous um, uh, amend- or, uh, constitutional amendment proposals. So it's a big deal. This all has to do with the fight in uh, control for control of the Ohio State House. By the way, uh, interesting uh, uh, conversation last night. Actually, we've had two conversations this week about this uh, with State House members. A couple of nights ago, Jack Windsor and I interviewed uh, uh, Marilyn uh, John, who is a state representative who is a part of the 45, who is trying to do right by the people of uh, Ohio who elected them with their supermajority. She is very, very uh, concerned and not confident at all that she's going to be able to work with the 22 Republicans who sold their souls to the Democrats for power. 
uh, and for uh, uh, power for Jason Stevens. And then yesterday I spoke with Phil Plummer, another of the 45 who is, uh, uh, is very, very concerned about the ability. That's why he said if there's going to be a dictatorial regime running the state of Ohio led by Jason Stevens, uh, he needs to resign right now. You know, it took them all of one day, one meeting on uh, the 24th, on Tuesday. It took one meeting to find out that's exactly how he's going to be uh, behave. Ohio Value Voters is, is speaking out on this, too. They sent out a letter to the 22, the coup of 22, the gang of 22, whatever you want to call them, uh, respectfully asking them to reconsider their support for uh, Jason Stevens for House Speaker and support Derek Maron and perhaps get the motion to vacate, which exists. The motion to vacate uh, the, the Speaker's chair, uh, get that underway so that they can right the ship and go back and fix everything that was uh, done so poorly by these uh, 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 by the Gang of 22. So we're going to follow up on that. Brian Stewart, State Representative, will join us next to discuss on AM 1420, The Answer. Among the uninformed, always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 936, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. He must resign. That was a message uh, given uh, on Tuesday, literally before the end of the session, or at least very uh, at the very end of the session, the uh, meeting uh, of the Ohio State House, uh, their first meeting to establish the rules package, to appoint committee chairs and make com- committee appointments and so forth. And uh, by the time it was over, State Representative Phil Plummer was shouting, not shouting, but telling anybody who would listen, Jason Stevens must resign. I had him on yesterday to answer and explain why he thinks that is the case. And the answer was very direct, because we cannot have a dictator running the Ohio State House. The General Assembly cannot be under the thumb of a dictatorial leader, and that's what Jason Stevens has already, in a matter of just a couple of weeks, and then certainly in a few hours on Tuesday, established himself to be. Joining us now to break this down a little bit more, another of the 45 who um, who were deserted, if you will, by 22 trans Democrats uh, in the uh, in the vernacular of the day. Yeah, all of these people are Republicans, but they are identifying and acting as Democrats. So that's what we're going to call them. The gang of 22 stabbed people like Brian Stewart in the back. Stabbed, obviously, Speaker-elect Derek Marin in the back. And Brian Stewart here is now is here now rather uh, to tell us about the impact and the ramifications of this. Brian, thank you so much for the time, Mr. Representative. How are you, sir? I'm great, Bob. I appreciate your work. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you. So um, before we get into the specifics of HJR 6, which it's now 1, right? It's HJR 1, just to clarify. I believe so. I believe okay. so. Yeah, before we talk about uh, what it would mean to amend the Constitution, which you sponsored, which is incredibly important, um, what is your takeaway from Tuesday uh, when Speaker Stevens refused to acknowledge and uh, even allow certain members to speak when they wanted to offer amendments or when they wanted to uh, uh, offer different suggestions for leadership, for chairs, and so on and so forth. When he passed that rules package with the vote of the 22 plus Democrats supporting him and them without even considering amendments, what is your what is your reaction to that, Representative Stewart? It was pretty shocking, Bob. I mean, I, I in the last term watched as you know, Speaker Cup would let Democrats offer amendments all day long, all day long. I don't recall him ever refusing to recognize even a Democrat. Um, and so, you know, 
we may have lost some of those amendments because I think Democrats were already lined up to support, you know, whatever Jason Stevens wanted to do. But uh, it's a strange place if we cannot even have a debate on the rules. These rules take away a lot of our power uh, as individual members to represent our constituents. These rules, um, you know, empower the speaker at the expense of members um, to not even allow a debate, to not even be willing to let us point any of these things out. Um, I think is pretty uh, pretty shocking. Why do you think that is? I mean, you know, I was talking about this uh, last night on our, on our podcast with Jack Windsor, and uh, we, we were just pointing out that it would be one thing for Jason Stevens as the new speaker who has an agenda and has an idea of what he wants to do to at least put on a facade, at least at least give the appearance that you respect the other members of your own party's caucus, uh, and listen to the amendment. Listen, let people be heard. Let people make their suggestions, and then say, okay, you know, thanks for everybody for your input. Now we're going to vote, and then have the same vote. You're going to have the same results. At least give the appearance that you care about other points of view here, and that you're not declaring war with your minority of the caucus against the majority of the caucus. What would have been so difficult about doing that? That's, I think, why Representative Plummer said he's not even going to try. He's not even going to pretend he's got to go. Yeah, I mean, I think he's getting extremely poor advice or has some really bad instincts on this. I mean, it it shows a real lack of confidence to say not only are we going to vote these things down, but we're not even going to allow a debate. You know, I think in the in the case of the of the resolution Representative Josh Williams was trying to offer, all we wanted to do is give our caucus a choice on who our own leadership was going to be and let the members decide. Uh, frankly, I think they were concerned that they might have lost that vote. Um, you know, Phil Plummer is a very popular uh, leader in our caucus and, frankly, you know, should be on the leadership team if, if our caucus had determined so. I think they wanted to shut that down. With regard to the rules, you know, we got those rules, you know, maybe 24 hours before – well, less than 24 hours before they were going to be voted on. We had to quickly draft amendments all night long, get those submitted by a deadline. And, you know, a lot of members didn't even realize how much power they had just voted to give away because we weren't even allowed to, to point that out on the floor. I think if, I think if members had heard that debate, uh, you would have seen a very different vote total. We're talking with State Representative Brian Stewart. So um, when you say he's getting very bad advice, I'm curious about that, or, or just has bad instincts. You said it's, it's either or. If it's the former, who's advising him? What, 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 is, what is the end game here for him and for them to completely alienate not just the supermajority of the caucus, um, but the voters who, sta- who represent that or that they represent, the voters who put them there, to act in such a brazen way, there has to be somebody either, as you say, giving him advice or, or, or helping him you know, devise this, the stance that he's taking here. Who do you think it is, and what do you think the goal here is to, to be this divisive? Well, Kaylee, Bob, I, I, I struggle to figure it out at this point, and I'm not in those rooms uh, with, with that team. You know, the, the, my belief is they planned for the wedding, and they didn't plan for how to be married. Um, I think everything was focused on let's get the gavel, and it'll all shake out. You know, once we get the gavel, uh, everything will go back to normal, and people will just fall in line. But, you know, that, that's hard to do when it's 45 members as opposed to 22, and that's hard to do when you're holding this coalition together with, you know, 32 Democrats. So, you know, I, th- I think they're in, a, they're in a bind that I don't know that they know how to get out of, and I think that, you know, unfortunately the advice uh, or, or instinct Tuesday was, Let's just try to uh, throw some weight around and and uh, see if we can 
you know, sort of beat people into submission here, uh, I don't think it's going to happen. Representative Stewart, I asked uh, uh, Representative Plummer yesterday this, and I'll ask you, what do you think the Democrats are doing right now in their own private, you know, obviously Alison Russo has made some statements in some interviews. She's very, very happy uh, that they are getting, uh, you know, some seats at, at tables they were not going to have before. They're going to have a much more stronger representation on the redistricting commission, for example. Uh, they are going to have uh, an, an opportunity to push some of their labor union agenda uh, they're very happy over there on the public statements, but privately, what do you think the Democrats are doing as they watch Jason Stevens and his his cabal, and I'm sorry to use language like that or words like that, but I can't think of what else to call them, watching them split uh, the Republican Party the way they have? How do you think the Democrats are, are approaching this? Well, I, I, you know, we all work in the same building. I talk to some of these folks. They're pretty elated. Um, you know, they've kind of snatched victory from the jaws of defeat here. You know, they were coming in with a, you know, an extreme 32 seat, you know, super minority. Um, and now they feel like they have a real ability to help, you know, drive public policy in the state of Ohio. Um, that's not, that's not what I worked for, uh, during this last election cycle, but that's, that's what they believe. And I think, you know, we're already getting these signals of, you know, uh, promises on policy that have been made. You know, now there's rumblings that, you know, there's there's this push that, you know, well, let's 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 put Democrats as, you know, joint sponsors on a lot of these Republican bills and, you know, be um, be more bipartisanship, be be more bipartisan. There's nothing wrong with that in, in certain contexts, but not on, you know, the major public policy issues facing our state. And that's what we're concerned about. We're talking with State Representative Brian Stewart, who, uh, and let's get into the issue now of the constitutional amendment and the legislation that you proposed, HJR 6, I think it was, now it's HJR 1, but I've, I've explained it in layman's terms the best I can about what it would do and what, what it would require to amend the Ohio Constitution, but tell us exactly why you crafted the bill. First of all, what is it specifically, and why you crafted it the way that you did? And now, most importantly, it's kind of a three-part question, is, is how in jeopardy is this, uh, given the current state of the General Assembly? Yeah, so the Ohio Constitution Protection Amendment is really a, the result of a long-debated effort to make our state constitution, our governing document, uh, less susceptible to special interest meddling and to protect it against this kind of constant stream we see of, you know, in many cases, terrible policy proposals that we constantly have to defend against almost election cycle. Um, you know, uh, Secretary of State Frank LaRose and I had discussed this for a long time. You know, we talked after the election and said, this feels like the right time to to finally put something to paper here. And so what it would do is increase the threshold for passing, you know, permanent changes to our constitution, our state constitution, raise that to a 60 percent threshold instead of a just a bare, you know, 50 percent plus one vote threshold. This has been accomplished in other states already. And what's important is it's really similar to the supermajority requirement that we already require for the United States Constitution. You know, if if if, if Google proposed a, an amendment to the United States Constitution and then spent billions of dollars trying to get it passed, we would find that absurd. And yet that's exactly what we allow in Ohio virtually every election cycle. And so um, the amendment is very simple. It, 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 it's not a complicated uh, proposal. But uh, we think it's an idea whose whose time has come. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we have a deadline of February 1st, next Wednesday, in order to get this on the May ballot. And uh, we're not going to be in session. Uh, the speaker has scheduled us to be at a team-building retreat instead. <laughs> when you say us, does that include you, or is that only the 22 that uh, supported him? 
Uh, so it's been scheduled as a as a full 67-member caucus retreat. It historically has been such, and we have all been invited, uh, and do we will not be called into session. Do you, do you intend uh, to I, I think I'm going to – I think we do. We're, we're going we're gonna to go and uh, make sure that our voice is heard. Okay, so um, ramifications now. Um, this doesn't make it onto the May ballot for the reasons you just pointed out. Not even going to be in session, can't do it. That's probably not an accident. Uh, this is what they want. So bigger picture here, what kinds of, of constitutional amendments do you see the Democrats already starting to stock up in order to bring forward uh, to get passed with a simple 50% plus one majority? Um, People have talked about abortion. Uh, what other concerns do you have because of the uh, inact- inaction on getting this particular legislation passed? Sure. So, you know, this was not introduced to address any one or two specific amendments. This is a problem we've been dealing with for years. We have had individual casino parcel numbers written in the Constitution. We've had initiatives about marijuana grow operations, pharmaceutical business, you know, pharmaceutical overall hauls of how we, we sell prescription drugs in this state, minimum wage hikes. Every, you know, there have been multiple attempts to kind of hijack Ohio's Constitution, and we want to stop all of them. Uh, I don't want to hide the ball. This will apply moving forward to all constitutional amendments. It may apply to some that you know I might actually like to see, but it should be harder to amend our constitution. We should have these public policy debates in the legislature rather than in our governing document. Now, that being said, uh, you don't have to read very far in your newspaper to see – what plans, you know, some have to put things on the ballot fairly quickly. You know, we are going to have amendments relating to, you know, massive minimum wage hikes that are a huge concern to our, our small business community. You're going to have amendments about redistricting. You're going to have amendments about uh, abortion, about marijuana, about, you know, there's going to be a lot of different things that come through here because, candidly, I think that um, – you know, outside special interest groups, see Ohio is a pretty easy mark. Representative Stewart, the Republican voters of this state have given you guys everything that you could possibly want. Super majorities, veto-proof majorities in both chambers of the General Assembly. Uh, every state house office from governor to lieutenant governor to attorney general to secretary of state, a conservative majority on the Ohio Supreme Court. This should be the reddest state in the nation. And yet, there's a feeling that I have, and I think other conservatives have, that it's being wasted, completely wasted. The opportunity to advance true, constitutional, uh, conservative legislation and and platforms um, is being wasted because of nonsense like this. Um, do you feel the same way? Do you feel like that, uh, that, that an opportunity here is going by the wayside and that the people of Ohio are going to pay a price for that for a very long time to come? I do. Absolutely. I mean, to to look at the situation we have where we are um, looking at conservative policy being sort of bargained away for, you know, pretty fleeting uh, personal power is really troubling. And, you know, I, I, we have introduced this Ohio Constitution Protection Amendment in lame duck. Uh, we tried to get it done then. Um, you know, Jason Stevens told me during lame duck that he was opposed to this. Um, we were not deterred. Um, I introduced this again in the second week of this, this new General Assembly. We had 21 days. We gave, we gave a full three weeks to come back, pass this 
an important amendment which asks the voters. This it doesn't go into effect automatically. It asks Ohioans if this is a policy that we want to go towards to make it harder to hijack our constitution. And we've squandered it. And I and I fear, you know, I'm, I I really hope that folks who have held this up don't look around after November and May and next November looking at what could be some really terrible changes to our state constitution. They're going to be here forever and say woulda, coulda, shoulda, because this is and this was the opportunity to protect our constitution. Yeah, that's exactly right, and that's why so many of us supported this. And, you know, strangely, there are some conservative groups in Ohio for whom I have great respect who, who oppose this for different reasons. But uh, but uh, the, mm-hmm. the overwhelming majority, I think, supported this, uh, uh, you know, to to protect the constitution and to not allow it to be changed willy-nilly by, uh, by a 50% plus one with... Uh, by individuals who have a very, very different agenda. Uh, so it's troubling for me. Um, last thing for you is, I, I asked uh, Representative Plummer this yesterday too, so I'll just ask you. He said the bar is pretty high. He thinks it would take like 60 votes uh, in the uh, in the state house to uh, to vacate the chair and then have a motion uh, for 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 a new election to elect a new chair. Any thoughts? Have you given any thought to that? Have you talked to anybody else within the uh, caucus uh, about that? Uh, not yet. I mean, I think there is, um, it does get a little complicated, especially in this new rules package, sort of, um, you know, identifying how something like that, you know, would go. But, uh, you know, our focus is on, our focus is on doing our job for the people of Ohio the best we can in the, in the situation that we have. And, um, we are going, you know, we are, we in the 45 are going to stand up for conservative policy no matter what. Yeah, and I know you are, and 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 that goes without saying. Um, I'm just, you know, I asked Marilyn John the same thing too. Not that uh, about vacating the chair, but just I said to her, "Do you think there's any coming back from this? Is there any? Is there any? You know, room to work together with them?" And and the real question is, is are they going to be interested? The 22 going to be more interested in working with the 45 to mend fences and to advance conservative leg- uh, agendas and legislation and so forth, or are they going to be more concerned with? Um, you know, paying back the Democrats for giving them the power that they just got. And, you know, with 21 of the 22 getting committee chairs and, and plum positions uh, from Jason Stevens, you know, you, you wonder, do they even care about working with you to advance what they were they were elected to advance, or are they going to have to spend the next two years paying back the Democrats for their power? Well, that's been the question and concern, Bob. And, and, and candidly, our hope was that this past Tuesday we would start to get, you know, at least some positive movement in that direction. Let us have a debate on our leadership team. Let us have a debate on what our rules are going to be. Instead, you had, you had debate shut down on both. And so you had 37 members of the Republican caucus who refused to vote for the leadership slate. That's, that's, that is incredibly rare. That is incredibly noteworthy. You then had 35 votes against the rules package, right? The rules package is usually unanimous, right? Right. And so, but but if you're not even going to allow debate, uh, you're really pouring gasoline on a fire. Hundred percent agree, and and that's official debate. Um, you know, within session, I'm I'm wondering about private debate outside. Have I mean, have you talked to any of the 22 personally and had it out? And and you, what are you guys doing? And well, this is what we're doing. This is why you guys screwed it up by wanting mayor and blah blah blah. Have you had face to face debates or, or, over this with anybody since January third, or even really going back to when this whole thing was set in motion after November sixteenth? Have you had an occasion to to talk with any of them? And was it productive or fruitful in any way? Uh, I have. I would say there's you know varying ranges of um, 
willingness and interest uh, amongst that group to to unite. I, I think some realize uh, the mess that's been created, and I think would like to see a path forward. Uh, but unfortunately, we saw the same breakdown in the vote. Right? I mean, once again, we have a Republican leadership team that was elected with Democrat votes. We have a rules package that was elected that that was put in place with Democrat votes. You know, at some point, for there to be you know, a meaningful, um, you know, uh, reconciliation of sorts, we got to start voting together as Republicans right. and not just sort of getting things done uh, with the help of the Democratic Party. Well, I certainly hope those conversations can be had, and I would like to have them uh, publicly. We were supposed to talk last night with Jay Edwards. He was all confirmed to come on the podcast and answer some of these tough questions with us, and he backed out at the last second for one reason or another. But I want to get a Jay Edwards. I want to get a John Cross. I want to get some of these people in public discussions on radio like this with you or with uh, Phil Plummer or anybody else who's willing to talk about this because um, we simply cannot go forward with what we saw on Tuesday as being the model uh, for you know the governance in this General Assembly. It just cannot go that way and i think public conversation needs to be needs to be held here um you know uh face-to-face voice-to-voice so hopefully we can work on making that happen so that uh reason and common sense can prevail in this and representative brian stewart reason and common sense is what drove uh that uh, constitutional amendment legislation i hope that somehow some way it can be revived uh since it's not going to be able to make it to the may ballot uh but i appreciate you doing it and i also appreciate you coming on to talk about it today really appreciate it bob thank you Thank you, sir. Representative Brian Stewart joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. I want to bring him on. I want to bring Phil Plummer on. And I want to bring Jay Edwards, John Cross. I want to get Jason Stevens himself. I want to have these conversations. I want to have one-on-one debates. Not fights, but debates. Respectful in tone. But let's lay it out there. Because this state is in a... Is in a it's a hot mess right now, let's put it that way. It's nine fifty seven. We'll take a timeout and come back. Always right radio AM fourteen twenty minutes. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. Hour number two now underway at nine minutes past ten o'clock on this Thursday. It's the 26th morning. Wow. Just wow. 26th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord 2023. This uh, this month has flown. Uh, and I guess it's just the nonstop 24-hour news cycle, which is churning and churning and churning. And every day, I mean, my head is spinning. Uh, and maybe it's just uh, there's so many things coming around. Uh, wow, time has flown. We are near the end of the first month of this year. Uh, it's kind of crazy. Uh, let's welcome, as we do each and every Thursday and will throughout the month of twenty, uh, the year of 2023, and as uh, law far into the future as he's willing to do it, let's welcome our good friend Dr. Everett Piper back. He is one of our generals in the fight in the culture war. Uh, he does so in many different ways. He does it by writing. Uh, he's a best-selling author. He is a weekly columnist for the Washington Times. He does it by voice, as he is a host of The Rebellion, which is a radio uh, show and podcast coming out of his native Oklahoma. And he's our regular guest on AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Piper, good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning to you, Bob. As always, great to be on your show. 
So, wow, there's a lot of directions we can go with our conversation today, but I want to start, as we almost always do, with your uh, most recent column uh, in the Washington Times. And we're talking about the lethal consequences of deception and talking about when people lie, other people die. And you have a host of examples in this week's column, and I want to talk about the the consequences of defeat. Uh, And I'll let you give us a summary before I ask you some specifics about some of the issues uh, and some of the uh, um, uh, examples that you cite in this week's work. Dr. Piper, tell us about it. Well, one of the things I try to make clear on your show, as well as my writing, my speaking, you know, my own uh, little radio show over here in Oklahoma, And the way I live my life, Bob, is that worldview matters. Ideas always have consequences. And as a biblical Christian, I'm trying to highlight the fact that if we live biblically, even if we aren't embracing, even if culture doesn't embrace the born-again reality of Scripture, if we live within the boundaries of the biblical worldview and behave accordingly, we're going to have more freedom rather than less. It's just the right way to live, and history proves time and time again that if you live within the fences of freedom, if you will, you can be released to run free rather than be held in a cage or uh, held on a leash or, or, or put on a chain. And we know that in the way we raise our animals and train them to behave and discipline themselves. They have more freedom. It's the paradox of discipline and freedom. Okay, with that as the context, when I'm looking at the daily news, I think of the Apostle Paul's admonition to the first-century Christians in Rome, where he made it clear that the wages of sin are death. Now, often Christians hear that in terms of the eternal, but could it be that Paul is talking about both the eternal as well as the temporal, that when you have sinful ideas and you behave sinfully, when you have wrong ideas and wrong behavior, the consequences are always going to be death, in, in other words, you're, you're compromising your health and you're compromising your freedom, and therefore people suffer and die as the result. Thus the title of my article, When People Lie, People Die. So setting that article up with this 2,000-year-old wisdom that the Apostle Paul gave us when he wrote to the Church of Rome, that when you abandon the truth, when you start worshiping the created rather than the creator, you're given over to a reprobate mind, given over to lies, and the end thereof is going to be death. And we see that in the ideas of our culture. You know, I, and, uh, I, the, the seminal idea that I, hi- I highlight in the article is this. The idea that we adults can define what's human and what's not. That a living adult can decide that a born baby who's laying in a steel surgical pan in the abortionist um, uh, surgery, surgery center, or whatever you call it, um, in the abortionist office, that that living, breathing human being who's kicking and moving doesn't warrant our protection because that human being, just because he's the product of a botched abortion, yeah. can be left to die? I mean, that's the ultimate lie, isn't it? That is the seminal lie of our time, that we can define that individual as not being worthy of life. And then, you know, I go through several other examples from global warming to a variety of different things, in my article, where people are dying because we're not attending to the truth. When people lie, people die. Yeah, and you know, all of the examples that you give in this uh, in this article are incredibly important. None more so than the one you just did about uh, about the botched abortions and about uh, and about life. Um, I, I, I want to ask you what kind of a role you think things like Kamala Harris uh, five, four days ago, five days ago at the pro death march um, when she 
is the vice president of the United States, second most powerful people in this country, and thus the second most powerful person, beg your pardon, uh, on this planet, uh, stood there before you know thousands and thousands and thousands of pro-death marchers and declared that we do not have a right to life in this country. And she did so by misquoting the, the uh, Declaration of Independence, saying that we are given the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. She intentionally omitted the word life. We don't have a right to life. If we don't have a right to life, Dr. Piper, um, uh, you know, and if she's obviously referring to pre-born life, then we don't have a right to life at any point in our existence and that of course i think portends you know very dangerous times ahead for uh for seniors among us who may be in poor health who may it just may be decided the way they do up in canada that this individual is maybe not worth the burden not worth worth the cost uh and he doesn't have a right to life anyway so let's go ahead and give him the uh you know state sponsored euthanasia uh this is one of those times you say it all the time uh you know you always say we'll never get there but then suddenly we find ourselves there, and this could be another example of that. Exactly. And, you know, you and I have talked about doing a special series that's just titled, Well, That'll Never Happen. Yeah, that, And then, a, indeed, it does. It does happen because ideas always lead somewhere. They never are stagnant. They're never, they're never just frozen in time. An idea is always going to bear consequences today, tomorrow, and in the future. And a bad idea will unravel over time, and accrue unto itself more and more negative consequences. The idea that an unborn human being is not human, and that even though it has eyes and ears and fingers and toes and functioning lungs and a functioning liver and functioning kidneys, just because it hasn't exited the birth canal yet, it's not human. That idea is now bearing itself out in this decision in the House of Representatives to where every single Democrat, except for one, voted for euthanasia. That's exactly what they just did. They, they voted for infanticide. That's a better word. They voted for infanticide because now a child that has exited the birth canal and is actually breathing and moving and kicking and functioning outside the mother's body, that human being does not have the right to life. So the consequence of this terrible idea that bore itself out in Roe v. Wade this terrible idea that pre-born children, living human beings, can be executed for the sake of uh, adult convenience, that idea is going to keep unraveling and building up more and more lies unto itself and building up and accruing unto itself more and more death. And now we have the House of Representatives of the United States saying that a born-alive child can be killed for the sake of convenience. And Kamala Harris is actually parroting this crap when she takes to the podium and she actually excludes the word life from the Declaration of Independence. It's the consequence of sin. When you lie, people die. And the Democratic Party is laden with these deceptions, this deceit, and this lying. That is very well said, Dr. Piper. I wasn't planning to do this. I just kind of caught up on it, or it just kind of reminded me when you were talking about that part of your article about the unborn babies and the right to life. But there's another thing that Kamala Harris did here I think would be appropriate to have you comment on. Uh, given your role in our in our culture wars and your support of faith, um, she's left something else out in addition to life. And let's play this clip real quick. A promise we made in the Declaration of Independence that we are each endowed with the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. So obviously what everybody picked up on is that she left out the word life because of where she was, which is at a pro-death march. But she also left out 
um, creator from whom we are endowed with those rights. She calls it a promise. We made a promise in the in the Declaration of Independence that we are 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 endowed with the right to liberty. We didn't make a promise. The, the, the Declaration of Independence, Dr. Piper, doesn't promise something. It recognizes, it literally, it's in the title, Declaration. It declares that we are uh, given by our Creator certain unalienable rights, including the, those, uh, you know, life, liberty, and the priesthood. So th- this is another example. It was an intentional omission. It wasn't just a slip because she's dumb and she's a terrible public speaker, which is also true. This was intentional to leave out the word Creator uh, and uh, the word life. No question. No question. Back to the Apostle Paul's admonition to the first century church in Rome. Back to St. Paul's clear, revealed truth that's coming straight from God and the Holy Spirit. And that is this. When you worship yourself rather than God, when you worship the created, what what you see in the mirror rather than what you read about in the Bible, when you create your own God and elevate yourself above natural law, the laws of nature and nature's God, Things will not end well. And that is the lesson of history. George Santayana said that he who doesn't learn the lessons of history is doomed to repeat them. What you're hearing from Kamala Harris and the Democratic Party right now is the exclusion, the erasure of the word life from the Declaration of Independence and the exclusion and the erasure of the word creator from the Declaration of Independence. This is no coincidence. They recognize that there is, if there is a God over and above themselves, that they have to live within the boundaries established by the real God. But if they can declare themselves to be as God, as Robespierre did in the French Revolution, then all hell breaks loose, and they're the ones, they're the gods with, small, with a small G rather than a capital G. They're the gods that will rise up and try to control everyone else to solve the problem that they themselves created. It's a mess. History proves it over and over again that we will be given over to a reprobate mind, the deception of our time, the lies and the deceit, and we will suffer the consequences therein. We get less freedom, and we lose our lives. Millions of people will die at the hands of these lies. They always have, and they always will. And anybody who wants to my kind or yours and say, well, that'll never happen, then just go back and look at the lessons of history. It always has happened, and we're doing it again. Well, I have so many projects right now that you have no idea how much I juggle. And still, I want to make that happen. I want to start a series with you called That'll Never Happen. And I want to list all of them and watch them happen in real time. People need to know uh, exactly what we're talking about. It's not made up for radio. It is reality. And uh, and that's another great example of it. Dr. Piper, we'll take a time out here. I want to come back and talk about climate change, but not in the way that we normally do. We're going to talk about how it impacts our freedom, if not ours, uh, others around the globe, including in Europe. And we're going to talk about that next on AM 1420. Okay, 1024, we've got about six minutes left with our good friend, Dr. Everett Piper. Uh, Dr. Piper, let's talk. It's kind of funny when you talk about lies and uh, and deceit leading to death. Um, <laughs> this is something that continues uh, to go on, the, the ongoing lies on the state of the climate, the state of the planet, the state of our, our own existence on this planet as it pertains to uh, what we are doing to damage it. The Scottish government... And I'm glad you shared this with me. The Scottish government is planning now to really just take the freedom away from their people in total, their freedom to move. They plan to reduce 
uh, car kilometers and discourage car use altogether. Uh, by 30% cuts in road travel, their goal is to end travel in private vehicles altogether. Only uh, public transportation would be would be uh, available to people uh, in Scotland if this is to become law. The right of the free people to decide their own destiny is trampled underfoot to meet UN-imposed targets. That's language in the tweet from Peter Clack, a climate scientist on this. Dr. Piper, this is, again, uh, you know, uh, an attack on freedom. And, 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 and quite frankly, based in dishonesty, based in deception, based in deceit, based in lies, and it's going to have an extremely negative impact on people. Now, that's just Scotland, but of course, things don't stay in a vacuum. They get spread everywhere, and I promise you, right now, there are already American uh, uh, elected officials looking at this and saying, hmm, is this the model for us? Well, no question. Uh, let's just play off of the Las Vegas uh, commercial. What happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. So what happens in Scotland is not going to stay in Scotland. What happens in the European Union isn't going to stay there. We know that uh, we're a global economy, and we actually function globally right now rather than, in, rather than individually. For good or for evil, that is the reality of our world. So these ideas are not just going to be local. And here's the reality. Um, and this is controversial even within conservative circles right now. I'm just going to say, say it very, very clearly and boldly. The argument for climate change, anthropomorphic climate change, man-caused climate change, is not scientific, it's political. And the reality that more people die at the hands of cold temperatures versus warm temperatures is a scientific fact. If you want to do an analysis as to who dies because of temperatures, how many people die because of temperature? 88% of the deaths, the mortalities, are at the hands of cold versus warm weather. That's a fact. But nobody wants to talk about the reality of climate change. Yes, the atmosphere changes. Climate does change. It's called weather. But do you and I cause it? Not in great measure. And economists such as Bjorn Lomberg have been writing about this for decades. And here we have Scotland buying the lie, and they're going to start restricting uh, automobiles. And how are they going to do that? They're going to start taxing people to the point where it's too expensive to drive. Who's going to suffer first and who's going to suffer most when they do that? The poor, because they're the ones who won't be able to afford to drive to work. And the rich will continue to drive just like the rich continue to fly in their private jets to the World Economic Forum. So the first people to suffer will be the poor. Just like those who suffer because of other climate change policies in India or the third world, the poor suffer because they can't go get natural gas to burn. So what do they burn? They burn dung and garbage that they can find in the street. And they get sick because they're burning dirty fuel. When people lie, people die. And what we have right now is the lies and the deception of climate change affecting poor people in the same way the lies and deception of abortion affects the poor first and foremost. And the people that know that that's what's going on are the elites in the first place. They're not oblivious to these facts, but they no. don't care. And they cover them up. And and what's amazing is the talent that they have for convincing people that they're the ones looking out for the poor. They're the ones looking out for the poor and impoverished by promoting abortion, for example, uh, and, and, and opposing things like the Born Alive Act. You know, we're trying to 
uh, help poor people because that poor child won't suffer a terrible life. Uh, you know, if we go ahead and uh, rev it out before it's even born, uh, that poor family isn't going to have another mouth to feed. We need to give them the opportunity. We're looking out for the poor by enacting abortion laws, pro-abortion laws. We're looking out for the poor by not allowing uh, them to travel. I mean, all it's amazing how they're able to spin it so that people think they are actually, you know, taking care of the most impoverished among us when they literally all of their policies target them first and foremost. And the solution to everything we've talked about in the last half hour is this. Go back to a biblical worldview, because that worldview is the only one that's grounded in truth with a capital T. And Jesus himself told us that when you know the truth, you shall be set free. Lies lead to bondage and slavery, and they lead to death. Truth sets us free, and it's only within that truth that we're free to live life as we're supposed to. Again, the topic of the day, when people lie, people die. Dr. Everett Piper, terrific message today and every day, of course, but we certainly appreciate that. Make sure you follow Dr. Piper uh, on Twitter at Dr. Everett Piper. That's Dr. Everett Piper. Uh, He's got great insight there as well. Doctor, we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks, Bob. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. It's uh, 1030. We're going to take a time out here for news. And on the other side of the news, we're going to pivot dramatically to another issue, but one that is equally important as anything we've discussed so far. And that is the surrender of our sovereignty at the southern border. The... uh, the invasion continues in record numbers. It did it in in December, uh, both in terms of overall encounters and gotaways. And one person who is charting it all is the new executive director, the new executive director of FAIR. That's the Federation for American Immigration Reform, an organization that I work with as well as I can. Julie Kirchner will join us to discuss coming up on AM 1420 Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Hey, how come our imaging guy knows that, but the vice president of the United States does not? (laughs) The guy that did our promo there knew that the declaration contained the word life in addition to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. How about that? Kamala doesn't know that. Either that or she intentionally omitted it because she doesn't believe in the right to life. Well, maybe some things we will never know. 1038, we continue on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks again to Dr. Everett Piper. Good stuff. We're going to pivot now. We're going to go to the ongoing invasion. The invasion at the southern border continues because the current presidential administration and leadership wants it to continue. There is no other explanation for it, no other justification for their action or lack of action on this. The action is going to have to be taken by somebody else. And that's why I have been uh, so proud to work with FAIR for the last several years, going down to the uh, holding their feet to the fire event in Washington, D.C., doing everything we can to advocate for strong national security by a strong way of a strong national southern border. And FAIR has, um, is under new management now. Not really. Uh, new, but, um, but experienced leadership. Julie Kirchner is returning to the Federation for American Immigration Reform. I'm going to give you a little bio before I bring her in. Uh, to a role that she once held. She is once again going to manage all operations of this organization. She worked uh, for FAIR between 2005 and 2015, first in government relations, then for eight years as what she is once again today. 
the executive director. During her time, she led FAIR through the fierce legislative battles, and that's what this is all about, of 2006 and 7 and 13, beating back attempts by amnesty advocates to dismantle our immigration system and decimate the rule of law, which, of course, is the continuing effort uh, by those on the other side of the border and, sadly, too many in Washington, D.C., who are complicit in that. Joining us now to discuss what's going to happen and what FAIR and other organizations can do to try to protect this country's sovereignty and security Julie Kirshner, Executive Director, uh, joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, Ms. Kirshner, thanks so much for the time. How are you? And congratulations, by the way, on coming back as ED of, uh, of FAIR. How are you? Thank you very much, Bob. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well today. I'm so happy to be here. So um, I'm glad you're in the position, by the way. I know you're going to work very closely with Dan Stein, the president, in, in, in running mm-hmm. FAIR. Give, a, give people who don't know, and I've been doing this for many, many years, uh, and, and having FAIR uh, uh, executives and, and spokespersons on to talk about these issues. But for those who are maybe newer to my program or newer to FAIR, tell everybody what FAIR is, uh, what it was founded to do. Wow. Well, FAIR, uh, many people don't know, FAIR has been around for over 40 years. We're the first and the oldest organization that spearheads, that advances immigration policy that serves the national interest. That means your interest, not special interests. So we don't believe that corporations should be running our immigration policy. We don't believe that foreign governments should be running our immigration policy. We don't believe that uh, the foreign nationals who, who show up on our borders one day, any given day of the week, should be dictating our policy. We think that Americans should be able to decide that they have the right to decide who and under what circumstances come and contribute to this nation. Um, And we strive every single day to make sure that our immigration system is fair for everyone and uh, really serves our interests. And those interests are broad. You know, sometimes they're economic, sometimes they're humanitarian. Um, but we really want to look out for everyone, and certainly immigration as um, as it benefits people. But, you know, like any policy, you know, you can do too much. You know, it's the old, you know, trying to um, uh, shovel out water from the boat while you're digging holes in the bottom. You know, you have to be you have to be thoughtful and careful about how you create policy or else you ruin the system for everyone. Very well said. Uh, and, and you have a ton of experience in this, obviously, going back to your eight years as executive director. Why are you back? What, uh, what's, what, what led you to where you are now? Well, this, is, this really is the battle of a lifetime, uh, and it's more important than ever. I was really honored. So when I, I did my 10-year stint, I'll call it my first tour of duty, if you will, <laughs> at FAIR, and I left, and I had the, the wonderful privilege of serving in Homeland Security for four years. And I got um, just amazing experience working in our immigration agencies, understanding the nuts and bolts. You know, I went to visa processing centers. I went to passport processing centers. I went to, you know, behind, behind the scenes of airports where they screen passengers. You know, I did all of this stuff. I would sit in on interviews for citizenship. The amount of experience you gain just by doing that, I think, only makes you want to fight harder for our country, harder for sensible, common sense immigration policy that everyone can get behind and everyone can be proud of because we are a very, very generous nation. And what we really want to do is educate people how, you know, on what's going on. We want to pull that curtain back, shine a big bright light. 
We want to educate people on what's going on, and we want to empower them to make a difference. And it's just, it's such a privilege and an honor. You know, it's almost, it's almost, when you learn what's going on and you just feel so strongly about it, it's almost, I hate to say it, it's almost addictive. You feel like you have to do it. It's a calling. We're talking with Julie Kirshner, who was called back to FAIR, Federation for American Immigration Reform, as its executive director once again, uh, establishing um, uh, new policies to try and uh, and help provide support for our sovereignty and for our security. You know, you mentioned the words humanitarian and uh, economy as being issues here, and both of them are true. What I, what I see right now when I look at the southern border is I see two crises. I see a national security crisis for mm-hmm. the people of this country, uh, because these are not just migrant farm workers coming over by the tens of thousands and really the millions over the last two years alone. These are uh, people from all over the world. Uh, many of them are on terror watch lists. Many of them are gangs. Mm-hmm. Many of them are, are human traffickers, drug cartel members, and more. They're all of the worst things that President Trump once described uh, when he first ran for president and people freaked right. out on him. Uh, these people are coming across the border. It is a national security issue. But it is also a humanitarian issue, because if we look at what we see, you know, in the in the scant coverage that is given by the media, almost all of it by Fox and maybe Newsmax, when we actually see video of the conditions people are living in as they cross the border, turn themselves in, declare they want asylum and then have to figure out how to survive, uh, uh, you know, and where they're going to go. It's a humanitarian issue. So is that not something that can be? expressed to the decision makers in the administration saying, look, you think you're helping these people by telling them to come here and declare amnesty, but look at the conditions in which they are living. Look at the the food, look at their medical care and so forth. Um, These people are suffering. They're not helping people. They're hurting people, aren't they? Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. And, And it is an absolute falsehood that Biden administration is, is, circulating out there that somehow their position is this humanitarian it's the kind it's the humane system what they are propagating is illegality is it is a humanitarian disaster just as you said you know we have programs we have had for example refugee programs we've had them for decades we work with the un and, and i'm sure a lot of your listeners will uh, grimace at that but we have had these programs and we work with international aid organizations. They don't have to come to the U.S. border to, to claim, um, to claim, um, you know, to get protection from persecution. They can do that through the existing system. So we really need to get the administration to use the tools that are on the books. The problem is, in my opinion is that the open borders advocates who are running the white house don't want to do that they don't want to wait they don't want to use proper channels they just want to let everyone in so they are illegally busting holes open through programs we have on the books they're sending everyone up to the border and the result is that we are these poor people from all over the world are giving the cartels the money and the cartels are growing bigger and bigger and bigger, and Mexico is falling farther into the status of a failed state, and we share a 2,000-mile border with them. And, and somehow this is the humane system that the Biden administration is propagating. It's, it's insane. We're talking to Julie Kirshner. She is the new executive director, new and once again, executive director of the Federation for American Immigration Reform. I want to play a couple of clips for you and get you to respond to them. They're not long at all. Uh, here's number one. CBP and ICE are working closely with cities to share information 
and coordinate the disposition of non-citizens in immigration enforcement proceedings. We are also protecting the integrity of the American workplace, the rights of workers, and the right to fair competition. That's, of course, the uh, Secretary for Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, declaring that we are executing a comprehensive strategy to secure our borders. Julie, have you seen uh, such a a strategy being played out, mapped out, uh, discussed, much less carried out as, as it pertains to securing the border? No, not one. I have not seen one single policy that has been implemented to secure the border. Now, they have done... Secretary Mayorkas um, and and the immigration agencies have done lots of things to speed up the processing faster, to let more people in, to uh, abuse the laws that are on the books, um, let hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, millions. I mean, in in the first two years of the administration, roughly 5.5 million people were brought into the United States to the southern border. People who just showed up illegally, and there are more when you, I mean, when you count Godaways, it's I was just going to say, yeah, those are the ones that we know that are counted. The uh, Godaways are, are another story. And, you know, to give people perspective, that's greater than this, the populations of Los Angeles and Houston combined in just two years. In, the la- in December alone, they had a quarter of a million people being encountered at the southern border. They have not done anything expe- except speed up the processing. And now they're beginning to fly through these parole programs, um, which, you know, I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but they're creating these programs to fly people in, people who, who don't have a visa, who otherwise wouldn't be eligible for a visa. They just fly them in because we, we don't have enough. We don't have enough problems to deal with. They are, they are creating immigration programs out of thin air. These are not programs that Congress authorized. They're circumventing Congress. And just doing whatever they want. It's a little like, um, you know, just saying, oh, well, we're just going to spray paint the speed limit signs. Instead of, you know, 70, why don't we write 150 and just, oh, yeah, everyone can come in. I mean, it's, it's what is really frustrating is that we have laws on the books to deal with these things. And the law already requires that we deport at the southern border because the mm-hmm. law is very specific for the for the land borders right. when you come across the border you're supposed to be um you're supposed to go through expedited deportation without review in front of a judge and it's required by law and the biden administration hasn't been doing it right so we don't need you're new laws to, we need to enforce no. the laws but we do we do need to clarify one law or or a policy if you will and that is of course the amnesty policy because you know Every migrant who crosses that border, whether they're here for, you know, legitimate reasons or for nefarious reasons, they've all been taught the magic words. And that is, yeah. I'm claiming asylum. I'm seeking protection yeah. from, from persecution by war or, 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 or political persecution or religious or whatever in my home country. And according to our existing amnesty laws, and this is what Biden's team is hanging their head on, we have to say, okay, it's not our position to judge the seriousness or the legitimacy of said claim until it goes before an immigration court, uh, which of course, as you know, is, is years on backlog, and that's why we have. Yeah. So can FAIR or anybody through the legislative process or for working with the legislators find a way to clarify that um, that that amnesty rule or regulation yeah. so that the, the language is a little bit more direct, not just, hey, I'm claiming I'm being persecuted? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, and you've put your finger on 
this bigger problem, which is, you know, if we just look at it from 50,000 feet, there are way more people who want to come to the U.S. than we can ever hold. Um, it, it's just not possible, and it's not fair. Um, and, and when you zoom in right now, just as you said, the problem on the border is everyone's claiming asylum because you get work authorization almost automatically. Right. When you claim asylum, you get you are almost automatically become eligible for federal and state benefits. You get the doors open, and it's and no wonder everyone claims asylum. So what really we need to do is tighten up the requirements. As you said, you come in, you say, "Oh, I fear going home." you know, that the government's going to persecute me. We need to tighten up some of the language on the books, higher evidentiary requirements. But more importantly, one of the greatest things that worked was the Remain in Mexico program. And that is already authorized by statute. When it came out, everyone, well, not everyone, the mainstream media went crazy. They're like, <laughs> you can't do this. And, and, you know, President Trump was, well, I just did. And, and I even talked to people, and I was working at Homeland Security. They were like, well, they can't do this. We can't do this. I said, yes, we can. Here's the statute that authorizes it. And they were flabbergasted. Most people didn't even know it was on the books. because well, and, 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 they did it, and, he, and he did it with the, with the assent of the Mexican government. They agreed. Exactly. How about that for international cooperation? So and what it did was it says, hey, look, we'll let you claim asylum, and we're going to process your claims. But you have to wait on the Mexican side of the border, which, you know, is preferable because by law, if you come to the U.S., technically you're supposed to be detained until you're hearing. That's right. So waiting in Mexico may not be so bad. Um, you're supposed to wait in Mexico. And the, the asylum claims began to drop. Mm-hmm. And it just shows the exact point that, you know, these claims, the vast, vast majority of them are fraudulent. People make them up. They get these open borders advocates. Well, they're being told to. Yeah, they're being told to make it up. Just claim, you know, make up a story that says you're being persecuted in some way, and they have to let you in until uh, until there's a hearing before an immigration judge. Yeah, and then Julie, let me let me uh, move on to one other clip here because I'm a little short on time here. Uh, We're talking about Julie Kirchner, new executive director of Fair. I want to talk about the impact that this has on the people of this country, um, Mm -hmm. and and how brazen it is for people to say that the burden should be only on border cities and border states. Listen to this. Well, I believe that. When I took the trip to the El Paso, you could see firsthand the impact of how it not only uh, harmed the foundation of El Paso, but look at Chicago, Houston, Washington, New York City. This is just unfair for cities to uh, carry the weight of a national problem. We're going to open four more uh, hotels, emergency hotels. We have to open Herc's. Uh, this is a major financial impact on New York City and cities across this country. That's uh, Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, mm-hmm. complaining about the burden this puts on his city. He gave scant attention at the very beginning to it's rough on the people of El Paso, but it is impossible for the people in all of those border cities and really all the border states to have to endure the burden of five and a half million people in two years crossing, not counting the gotaways, without sending them to the New Yorks and Chicago's and the other places that have established themselves as sanctuary cities. You need to provide for these people. And by the way, uh, you know, Mayor Adams, it is your party that is making this happen. It is your party. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should have a little bit of input with uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, uh, with Kamala Harris, the border czar, and yes, with the President of the United States, if this is hurting your city so badly. 
it's incredible. The hypocrisy is rich. And they, you know, they're all for illegal immigration. They're all for being sanctuary cities until they actually feel the effects of it. And, and now the chickens have come home to roost and they're, they're crying foul. It's, it's, it really is amazing. And what they should be doing is, uh, ending their sanctuary city policies. They should be sparing the people of their cities the burden of all of this. But, you know, more importantly, the federal government should be doing its job. So, yes, I mean, this is where, you know, just speaking big picture, what really drives me nuts is the open borders advocates will have you believe, oh, oh, there's no victim. This is really a victimless crime, you know, coming over the border illegally. (laughs) But there are people who suffer all the time. And it's not fair to do this. Not only it's not fair and it's not humane, look at the crisis that this administration has created needlessly. It's, it's no other country in the world does this nope. except, yeah, ours. And we're expected and we, to. We're expected to do this because it, we're that shining beacon of light uh, that the rest of the world aspires to be and become. And, and if they can't become it on their own by, by, by establishing policies like ours, well, then they just ship all of the people that are unhappy here, and then we've got yeah. to deal with that overflow. Uh, Julie Kirshner, new uh, executive director of FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. I look forward to continuing the relationship with you. We're going to try to get this message out to as many people as we can here uh, in Northeast Ohio and through our reach. Uh, Thank you for what you're doing. Congrats on the the return to FAIR, and we will indeed be in touch with you again. Thank Thank you, you, Bob. A pleasure and an honor. Thank you. Same way. Likewise. Uh, 1057. Quick time out. Top of the hour coming. We've got another hour to go on Always Right Radio, AM 1420. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now. Nine minutes past 11 o'clock. Good Thursday to you. Appreciate you being here. It's the 26th morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Uh, Johnny is our guest on the line. Uh, Johnny Hauser. John is our guest on the line. There's no guest. Are you sure? I thought we had something booked here. Okay, then I guess you're going to have to fill in for us. I knew we had somebody to talk to here, and I knew there was a good reason why.
our producer, show booker, bit writer, singer. What else does he do? A little bit of everything. Commercial production. Our our podcaster puts everything on the webpage for you. Indispensable is what he is. And today is his birthday. And yeah, we're going to party, party, along with uh, Johnny Hiles. Johnny, you'd probably rather be... Rather than listening to... uh, 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 today is your birthday. You'd probably rather be playing this, wouldn't you? I like this live version, actually. I never heard it. It's pretty good. No? I'd like to play it, sure. Any Beatles is good. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I, I, I knew you'd appreciate this, but like I said, I know you'd like to play it, too. For those who don't know, you are also an accomplished musician. What's the name of your band? I know you kind of... You bebop around a little bit, right? Uh, you play with uh, different groups, different bands at different times. Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, right now, I'm in a band called Dead Sedonas, and uh, we're uh, we're working on rehearsals right now, and we're going to play in the spring. You explain that to us. Can I explain that to you? D- yeah, what's a Dead Sedona? Um, a Sedona, Sedona California, in, in Arizona, California? actually. Arizona, okay. There yeah, um, the definition was of Sedona is like. Um, a very beautiful woman or something from like Greek mythology that um like kills guys or something like that. And you want to kill the Sedonas that kill guys. Okay, I get it. So this is like uh you well, know Well they're already dead. So thing. it's like uh oh. wom- uh big women from the past that were like that like I don't know, like Cleopatra I'm, maybe. I'm doing a little search right now and all I'm getting Yeah, look is, at the uh, definition. The it's something like that. Yeah, hang on a second. All right now, all I have is the city when I search for Sedona. So let me see if I can find a definition. Uh, here we go. Now it's just the city. A city that straddles the county line between Coconino and Yavapai counties in the northern Verde Valley region of the U.S. state of Arizona. That's all I got. I got nothing else here. I don't know. I found uh, that like 10 years ago when I thought of that name. All right. Oh, oh so you this, this isn't a new uh, a new band name, then? <clears throat> Uh, not really. We were uh, together like uh, probably like ten years ago or so, and then parted ways, and um, okay. kind of redoing it now. You performed uh, you, and I don't know if it was the same guys that are part of Dead Sedona's with you, but uh, when we had our one hundredth birthday celebration at Harry Buffalo um, uh, back in June or July or whatever it was, you guys performed, and it was amazing. Uh, and you, you, I'm surprised that you're still here doing radio with me because you should be doing gigs twenty four seven all over the place because you guys were terrific. So what's uh, is that still the plan? Is it still? Oh know, yeah, definitely. Work? Actually, yeah. the drummer at the HK was the original drummer from the band, and the guitar player. Is the guitar player who's in it now? Oh, okay. All right. Wow. So yeah. So you got some experience together, and uh, hopefully you're going to grow that. That's great. So, so today is Johnny Hiles' birthday, and we want to wish him the very best. How uh, how many years since you were hatched? Are you do you think? Uh, Twenty nine. So I'm almost over the hill. Wow. Oh, dude, that's cruel. That's cruel and unusual punishment. If twenty nine is almost over the hill, what does that make me? Uh, I, I, very I, far I, down I, the other side of I the hill. I tumbled down it already, yeah. I mean, I'm near the bottom of the other side of the hill, if that's the case. So, you, you know, most people don't know how much that hurts when you're that age. Because I very distinctly remember, and I kid you not, when I started out at, well, a little younger than you, when I was first started out teaching at 22, uh, one of my very best friends that I became friends with on the staff was um, a science teacher who was... 
um, I think maybe like a year into my teaching, so I might have been 23 or something when he turned 50. And I rode him mercilessly about being on the other side of the hill now. Or at 50, that is the peak, and then you go down the other side. And I rode him mercilessly. I was 23 and feeling like I got the entire world in front of me. He's over 50, old man this and old man that. When I turned 50, I remembered it very, very distinctly. And anybody and everybody like you in your 20s who want to shove me over the side of that hill, I deserve every bit of it. Because we all do, and you're going to deserve it too. When you start mocking people for, you know, now that you're still young and, and, and in your prime, you're going to be 50 and there's going to be young people pushing you and mocking you and, and talking about the other side of that hill, my friend. And uh, I guess it's, uh, it, what do they call that, karma? Karmic justice? Yeah, I used to do that uh, 10 years ago, and now I feel bad for everybody that I thought that was uh, 30 is old. So when you were 19, you used to make fun of the 30. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I freaked a little bit. I don't want to say freaked, but it was, you know, take stock of your life type of moment thinking when I turned 40, truthfully. Um I was like, you know, I was like, my God. I mean, I, there there used to be a show back in the 80s. You probably don't don't know about it. It was called uh, 30-something. You ever, you ever see it? It was just like a, um, a show about a bunch of 30, 30-somethings, uh, you know, uh, you know, friends? friendly people. No, not friends. It was called 30-something. Oh. That was the name of the show. It's called 30-something. And it's about all these, you know, and all the problems that they had with, you know, being in their 30s. And they're, you know, they're, they're, most of them are, you know, like yuppies, you know, they got some money and they're, you know, in their, you know, upper, upper middle class, you know, neighborhoods with their Volvos and their garages and everything else. So friends. Like, oh no, not friends. 30 something. Telling you, the name of the show was 30 something. Why do you keep saying friends? Oh, you're just describing it. Yeah, not really, because they you know, the friends were all single, living in apartments in the city, in New York City. They were still living in their 30s like they were in their 20s. I'm, these are family people that I'm talking about. You know, like I said, family suburbanite kind of things and all oh, okay. the problems that go along with that. And I remember being in my teens and or maybe early 20s and thinking, man, 30s must suck. Uh, and then I got through my 30s and I hit 40 and, and I was like, Holy God. I mean, literally, I thought the 30s was something to avoid. Uh, now I'm about to be in my 40s. And when you're in your 40s, by the way, and you're, when, you, when you flip that calendar to 40, I don't know how you feel, Johnny, but, um, you know, about to be 30, but the average lifespan, I think, for an average, you know, an American man is like 74. And for a woman, it's like 77. Those might have gone up a little bit in recent, you know, uh, you know years in which the, you know, scientists tell you what the average lifespan is. But if, if it's 74 and, you know, you turn 40, you're already more than half dead. Uh, you know, you've lived half your life. You have less than what, what less life to live in front of you than you've already lived. And that's kind of trippy. And then you get past your 40s and now you're in your 50s like I am. And you're like, okay, now it's real. And we look at somebody like you. You're tw- celebrating your 29th birthday today. And my friend, trust me when I tell you this, party like it's 29. Party like it's 29 because you are going to blink and you are going to be in your 50s talking to some 29-year-old about how, how young you still. You're still in diapers in your life. You're flipping out about flipping to 30, and I'm telling you, you're still in diapers. You should enjoy this every step of the way, my friend, because it is going to be a 
flash of time before you realize you realize holy crap i'm as old as bob was maybe that dead guy uh when you're when you're in your mid-50s you're gonna be like yeah remember that dead guy i used to work with yeah he was right boy this happened really really fast so. Well, thanks, Bob, and uh, I will try to follow that advice. Seriously, Johnny, uh, you you are you are so talented. You are so young. You have so much in front of you. I'm not kidding. The bits that you write, the performances that you do, uh, the band that you play in. Uh, you know, you you are a multi-talented young guy who has such an amazing future in front of you. Soak up every single second of this. Take it from somebody who's uh, you know wishing he could still have that time back, and you've got it right now in front of you. So happy birthday! Enjoy the hell out of it, Johnny. Uh, and uh, let's take a time out. Two one. Six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. No, let's not. No, no, no. Let's not take a time out yet. Let's 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 revel in a little bit of the the talent of uh, the newly twenty nine year old Johnny Hiles. Always right presents real American heroes. Real American heroes. Today we salute you, Mister Driving Alone with a Mask Guy. just wear a mask when they're around other people. They cover their faces when they're riding stag on their way to work. Baby, you can't be too careful. The science may show that your tiny paper mask doesn't work worth a flip, but that doesn't stop you from strapping it on day after day, week after week. Don't you know in a worldwide pandemic? Besides, the world needs to know just how woke you are. Even if your common sense is passed out on the back seat like an old drunken sailor. As long as he's got his mask on, yeah. So here's to you, Mr. Driving Alone with a Mask Guy. You may indeed suffocate in your own CO2, but at least you won't get COVID right up until you do. Brought to you by Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Johnny Hiles on the vocals there. Just a little taste, like I said, just a little taste of the talent. Happy birthday, my friend. We'll take that time out now at 1120, and we'll be back. All right, 1024, excuse me, 1124 now. Always right radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Having a little fun with our uh, friend and wishing him a very happy birthday. Johnny Hiles is 29, and I was bragging about his talent. And in case you didn't know how talented he was, you've heard these on the program through the last couple of years, but maybe you didn't know it was him. Well, guess what? It's him. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Mm, not in okay. this context. So I'm not really a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition. My gender changes depending on the day or week or even depending on the hour. If you got three months in Facebook jail, who you gonna call? Wallbusters! If your five-year-old girl identifies as male who you gonna call when you post pictures of your beautiful vacation or your healthy children or your lovely home and you write hashtag blessed i ain't trying to be woke you are offensive because you were not chosen as one of god's favorites you were given opportunities that other people were not i ain't trying to be woke if the liberal mob tries to shut you down who can you call 
Cause you forgot to use their preferred pronouns. Oh, who you gonna call? Ballbusters! What are your preferred pronouns? Uh, Zazam. These are my pronouns. Mapa, Nini, Nopa, Nori. I ain't trying to be woke. Opa, Pere, Pong Pong, Zaza, Zizi, Trixic, Torque, From an Amork, Viramork, Allosexual. I ain't trying to be woke. If you've had enough of this freaky stuff, baby, you better call. Ballbusters! If your American dream is too extreme, then call. Our genitals actually don't determine our gender. I ain't trying to be woke. Do you believe then that men can become pregnant? Yes. I ain't trying to be woke. Trans women are not a threat to women's sports. I ain't trying to be woke. Any male who claims not to be a misogynist is a misogynist. When a traffic statue replaces Chief Wahoo, you really need to call. <laughs> I love that one. When NBC sounds like the KGB, baby, think you better call. Ow, who you gonna call? Who you gonna call? I can't hear you. Who you gonna call? By our birthday boy. That's uh, that's Johnny Hiles, everybody. Uh, is simply an amazingly talented young man, I'll tell you what. Uh, let's get some phone calls. Uh, Joe is in Westlake. Hey, Joe, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away. Hi, Bob. Got quick, three quick points about the aging of your young friend. Number one, great advice. I, I have a 64-year-old friend who calls me a youngster, and I'm in my 50s. She just started a new job, so great advice to him. Number two, there is one aspect to him uh, turning 30, and that's that having children, uh, the best time to have that is basically right now. And I think we kind of need to be talking about that due to the lowering of the birth rate and the rising of the excess death rate. So I think that's something young people really need to kind of think about and plan because it gets a lot harder, you know, after 40. Number three, 50 years from now or when he turns 50, there's a pretty good chance you will be alive because the the fastest growing age group is people over 100. You know, this this mRNA tech, uh, I think part of the reason they used it was it, it had a lot of promise. They just used it way too early. We are seeing a lot of advances in aging. Uh, scientists recently caused mice to reverse aging. Unfortunately, the terrible disaster will... Uh, push back on that thank you all right thank you for the call joe i appreciate that um that is very interesting i didn't know that about the fastest growing age demographic is people over 100 that is something and i'll tell you what that is a concern to governments it's a concern to insurance companies and medical providers of course because when you get up into those ages you require a lot more care and a lot more cost you are coming at a lot more cost and a lot of people think since you brought up the vid and you brought up uh you know the mrna there are a lot of people who think that was a way to get that population thinned out just a little bit. I'm not claiming that it's true. I'm telling you this is what a lot of people say. There's a lot of conspiracies, a lot of thoughts, a lot of opinions, and so on and so forth. But the number of people dropping over because of these shots, uh, a lot of people think is to thin out, particularly that aging part of the population. So take it for what it's worth. <clears throat> Having said all of that, I would say this to point number two Joe had just made. Why do you hate the planet? Why are you encouraging people like Johnny to have children? 
Don't you know that kids become adults and adults are killing the planet? Don't you know that the CO2 level is rising because of the human population? And the best thing you can do to save the planet is to stop having children. Isn't that what we're told all the time? Yeah, by the American left. Uh, Of course, I say that all tongue-in-cheek. That's what they say for real. But uh, your point is very, very very well taken. Johnny is in the prime of his life, and hopefully he will take advantage of that so that the rest of us old farts uh, uh, can live vicariously through them. 1130 News Time, right back, Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. Okay, 1137, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Let's get a couple of more quick phone calls in. We've got a few minutes left. We're going to go to BJ. Hey, BJ in North Olmstead. Go right ahead, sir. Hi, Bob. I have a couple of quick points, if I, if I may. One is to your younger listeners. Fulfill your life with the most active things you can do so you don't get old and look back and say you wish you would have. I'm 92, and believe me, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the but is there, anything, like, is there anything you didn't do in your 92 years? <laughs> you sound like somebody who got every single inch worth out of those 92 years so far. I milked the heck out of my good life that God <laughs> gave me, and I appreciate that. Good for and you. And that's another thing I would like to make a comment that Kamala left. In our opening of uh, the things that uh, were given to us, it said that the Creator gave us life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So I have come not to worship gods, but the Creator of all life. Every morning I get up and I hold my cup of coffee up to the sky, and I say, thank you, Creator, for the gift of my life and my family. And I, I find that to be more more soothing, because every country has their gods and worship different religions. So I go right directly to the source of all creation, the creator of all life. And thank you for your time, and God bless the human race, and God bless America. Thank you for listening. All right. Thank you very much, BJ. I appreciate it. We'll uh, go onward to Kevin in Cleveland. Kevin, you're on AM 1420. The answer, fire away. Hey, how you doing, Bob? Good, sir. What's up? Hey, I was just hoping that uh, hoping that you weren't going to give out the band name of your uh, of your producer there because they find out uh, that he's working with you in the in the conservative world, they, he's, they will cancel him at any attempt <laughs> he has to try to get a gig. Johnny, uh, truth to that, you got concerns about being associated with an evil conservative that uh, might might get in the way of the uh, the, the woke uh, band uh, industry, or uh, I could care less. Uh, we'll play in the street if we have to. <laughs> but is there a real th- no? I mean, you know what? That's awesome. Good for you. Awesome attitude. But I don't want you to have to play in the street. I want you to get gigs. Uh, but is that a thing? Like for real? Like is there politics in the in in you oh, know in the time. in the band world? At some venues, oh, yeah. there is definitely um, yeah. certain places in Lakewood. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I know that because we we tried to have an event there and uh, we couldn't because uh, they didn't quote like our politics, uh, even though we weren't doing a political event uh, at the time of that. So I do remember that. But you faced that kind of discrimination, huh? Uh, I others have, and I imagine certain places would. You know, yeah. um, not personally at this point in uh, since playing, but Kevin, I'm sure you're in a band. Happen. Kevin, are you in a band too? Absolutely. Okay, you don't play with Johnny, do you? Uh, say again. You don't play with Johnny, do you? No, not at all. Oh, okay. I was going to say because I, I don't want to screw things. I, will... I don't want to screw oh, no, things up for you and gigs too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to say if you're gonna if you're gonna 
uh, I mean, you, got, you definitely got to keep your political beliefs. Uh, uh, you got to wear them close to the vest because, uh, yeah, you'll get canceled in a hot second in the music world. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I appreciate that. Thanks so much for the phone call. And it's, it's really a sad thing that such a phone call is necessary and that such a warning or such a thing exists, honestly. If you can play and entertain the crowd with some great music uh, and draw people in to have them buying alcohol from your uh, from your, your your place of business, why would you give a rip what the band's politics are? In all seriousness, especially unless they're singing songs, uh, you know that are political in nature. Now, if Johnny goes into a Lakewood bar uh, playing a gig with his band and starts singing this, girls grow up to be the mommies. Boys grow up to be the daddies. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Everybody put up your hands from a boy, Fred Rogers, straight out of the Trophy, PA. Fred Rogers in the house. You know, everybody's fancy. You, me, born a boy, you stay a boy. Everybody's fancy. You, me. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Boys are boys from the beginning. Girls are girls right from the start. Now only boys can be men, only girls can be ladies Just like the leather trim in the back of my fans When you're cruising down the street and it happens again When you know she's a bobby but she thinks she's a can When you're out on the green, watch your ass on the caddies Only girls can be mamas, only boys can be daddies Now you're in LA, in the streets, it's the daughters But when you're in the hood, it's my boy, Mr. Rogers Everybody's fancy You Me Everybody's fancy Everybody's fine Your body's fancy and so is mine Some are fancy on the outside Me Some are fancy Fancy on the inside. Me. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Born a boy, you stay a boy. Girls are girls right from the start. That's a mark, Robinson, speak from the heart. Hey, but who gender? Who gender? Ain't nothing but men and women. Everybody's fancy. Everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. You. Yeah, Fred Rogers in the house. Everybody's fine. Tell it like it is. You, me, featuring Pastor Mark Robinson. Hey, but who cares? Featuring your boy Johnny Hines. By way of Bob Prince. W H K, take us home. Yeah, I'll tell you what. There's a song called Everybody's Fancy. That I think everybody's fine. Yeah. Uh, everybody's fine. Johnny, if you uh, if you get a gig, especially in Flakewood, and uh, you you take the stage and you bust out the Everybody's Fancy remix, I can see where that might have career implications. I might get thrown out like I did the last time <laughs> for being unvaccinated. You got thrown out of a Lakewood bar for being unvaccinated? Yes. Are you kidding? Well, I, I were they checking? Were they checking? They were checking vax cards? cards at the door, and I was in there, and then I kind of got into it with the guy at the door. And uh, there was some words between us, and uh, yeah. I left. Wow. Well, tossed That's... out, kind of. That is hilarious. That is simply hilarious. Well, we need to get you a forged Vax card, uh, especially since we now know they are absolute crap. And there's, well, we knew it from the beginning, most of us. Uh, but now that it's become accepted, it's absolute crap anyway. We need to get you a fake Vax card so you can go in there. And then when you say, see, look at me, I'm properly jar- darted and jabbed, then you take the stage and say, <laughs> everybody's fancy remix. 
That would be outstanding. All right, that's all the time we had. Had a little fun the last uh, 40 minutes or so, uh, with good reason, though. Happy birthday to you, Johnny Hiles. Thank you to our guests today. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to our team. Always appreciate it. Uh, back tomorrow with a free-for-all Friday edition. So, And don't forget, by the way, if you uh, have a chance today on your computer or your phone, look for the uh, Talk and Smack podcast with Bob and Jack, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy that one. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay safe, stay safe rather, and stay free. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.